Thanks, Brent. <coughs> yeah, yes, we're <coughs> normally we would be our, our pattern has been to be in in church on the holy days of obligation, you know, Christmas Day and Easter and those kinds of things. With the loss of both our dads this year, we we've taken opportunity with the grace of the church to head up to Brizzy to be with our family on Christmas Day. <clears throat> so somewhere between Christmas Day and New, Christmas and New Year we'll head back. But uh, Bev and I wanted to send you guys our Christmas greetings. Um, <clears throat> we love you each and every and um, we just kind of run out of time in getting the cards to you this year but, uh, and we don't want to miss anybody so we thought, well, here it is. Here's your card. <laughs> Happy Christmas, ho, 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 <laughs> all of that kind of stuff. Uh, Andrew, would you like to put that, <clears throat> that slide up? You could turn to Romans 5, where we were this morning. Uh, one Christmas Eve, a hundred years ago, actually plus one, an extraordinary thing happened. It was Christmas Eve, just five months into World War One. so we're talking 1914, on the battlefields of France. British, French... I'm actually quoting a little bit from an article, OK? Uh, British, French, German and Belgian troops laid down their arms and crossed no man's land to show photos from home, swap food and cigarettes, share a toast and even a prayer. They, they even read... They had church services together on no man's land in dif- different parts of the front. They buried their dead shuffled cards and in some sections of the front played soccer. Men who had been daily shooting each other in trenches over 100 metres apart, only 100 metres apart, recaptured their humanity, albeit temporarily. The event had a surreal quality to it and not even the soldiers themselves could believe what was happening. One British soldier wrote home in bewilderment saying that while you were eating your turkey... I was out talking and shaking hands with the very men I'd been trying to kill a few hours before. It was astounding. One German soldier wrote home, It was a day of peace in war. It was only a pity that it was not decisive peace. Paul in Romans in chapter 5 speaks of decisive peace. Would you like, as we reflect on a few verses that were read to us this morning, from verse 1 of Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. We had a friend uh, back when we were young married. He was a drug addict. I guess it cost him roughly 250 bucks a day, his habit. He was on charges. He wound up going to prison 
But the day he came to the Lord, he came to the front during an invitation at the end of a gospel meeting and knelt at the front and prayed and he stood up and he was free of his addiction to heroin. And I guess as we've been about the things of God, many of us over the years, we've seen this happen before. Alcoholics, for example, stand up lifted with that off them. Um, Other things that have been binding, sometimes in that moment of conversion, as the Lord regenerates them in spirit, in a sense he also touches them in the physical. And in in a sense, do you think he could give up smoking? He could not give up smoking. He battled that all through his time in jail, all of that. But the Lord lifted this thing off him. It's almost like he was saying, you can't handle this son, you know. Your your mind now, that this is the first thing you need. Let's just lift this off you. And in a sense, for me, the way these verses are structured, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, the first thing that we have is peace. First thing that's imparted uh, to us from the Lord is peace. You, you can't go, you can't go into your journey in me without this. We're not really wired up as humans to live without a deep abiding in a peace. It's kind of a basic for human existence. Let, let me, right at the very beginning of, of your journey with me, says the Lord, let me impart some peace to you. Let me lift some burden. Peace, I guess, as is commonly understood, uh, speaks of pleasant pastures, uh, smooth sailing, calm seas, an absence of war, tranquility. Can you feel the serenity? (laughs) But the Bible speaks of peace a little bit differently. It kind of goes far further than the common human understanding. The Bible declares this decisive peace that even though those World War I soldiers probably didn't realise it, this was the peace that perhaps they were yearning for, calling for, seeking for, fighting for. The Shalom peace in the Hebrew speaks more of not so much about the absence of war and this would be very familiar to, to many of us of course, but a complete state of individual and communal uh, peace of mind and a total state of good health and well-being. Isaiah 48:18 says, "If only you'd paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river." In other words, you would have prospered and and all would have been well with you. That sense of the shalom peace. In, in Greek, Aurini, um, my auntie because of my patriarchal Greek father named was named Irene. She was often called by him, Irene. But Irene or Irene or however you might say it, is for that, that's the Greek word for peace and it carries the Hebrew shalom idea and includes within it a cessation of hostilities. And, and it also has a sense in which it means to join, uh, to properly tie together into a whole in an, in an, and there's even another understanding, or just taking that a little bit further, that when all this, this uh, irony piece is to do, is what you have when all 
the essential parts are joined together. When all the essential parts are joined together, there's a completeness. It's a much more powerful understanding um, and, and we've had so much echo today. Thank you, Garth, for picking on that bit in the end of Romans 8 because I'm touching on another bit in there this morning so I had to dump that little bit. But that, but that and, and what Rob brought to us in our communion, you know, this sense of uh, uh, peace is not just an absence of war and feeling calm and good and serene. There's, there's much more power to it. It's a life-changing peace. It's embedded in us. It brings wholeness and completeness to us. When we come into fellowship with the living God, into relationship more powerfully with the living God, there's an impartation of a very powerful sense of completeness that leads to kind of a, a serenity that is quite unusual in the human sphere. The first blessing of believing faith is decisive peace. If we push on from that first verse, therefore since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Well, Abraham, the, the whole previous chapter is talking about how Abraham is justified by faith in chapter 4. So if you've got your Bibles open, just, just go up to, to verse 20. Abraham did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. I mean, the Lord hadn't come yet. He, he was believing in the promise of the coming of the Messiah. This is why it was credited to him in advance as righteousness, that is saving grace. The words it was credited to him, it says in verse 23, were written not for him alone but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him, who raised Jesus, now Paul's writing after the Lord has come, so he's writing after the arrival of the Messiah, his death, resurrection and ascension. So he's talking past that and yet credited righteousness still comes to us. The words, it was credited to him, verse 23 again, written not for him alone but also for us in verse 24, to whom God will credit righteousness for us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. And that's why chapter 5 starts off with, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. Being justified by faith, justice has been served, justice has been met, but at the same time we have been made right. So justice is served, we are righteous in, in the sight of God and in the presence of God. We now stand in this grace that has been imparted by God to us. We haven't earned it, we haven't paid that price. We stand in this impartation 
of life in Christ, no longer under the judgment and wrath of God, a grace of cessation of hostilities between me and God, a grace of forgiveness and cleansing of sin, a grace of completeness of body, mind and spirit. And therefore, the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 4 says, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Isn't that so cool? Jesus introduces us, he brings us into the full favour of God. We have access through Christ into the very presence of Almighty God, the great I Am. Any time, any place, always welcome for an audience with the King. This is the grace in which we now stand and the sense uh, apparently with this in which we now stand, the sense of that is that we are well grounded, we are on a firm footing in this grace. Let's read on from halfway through verse 2. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character and character, hope. I wish we could grow and mature as a person. I have this little kind of theory without struggle, without suffering. I have this kind of little theory and I think I derive it mainly from myself that little boys never grow up, they just grow old. <laughs> and you can tell the little boys because of the, the big boys have bigger toys, you know. That's the, the, the common saying. I, I wish it was easier to grow in the things of Christ, in the things of God. I, 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 why do we have to struggle? Why, does it, why is it in the suffering? You know, why, why doesn't the Lord wrap us up in a cocoon and give it to us, give us this impartation of perfection, if you like? I guess there is the promise of that perfection to come when we take on his glory. But why is it so hard even to learn some of the basic things in our journey in Christ? I guess he understands the, the realities of life you know, rejoicing therefore in the midst of our sufferings carries the meaning of to glory in, to boast about, to take pride in. It's not a selfish, boastful pride but, but rather a boasting about what God has done, exalting in the God who has welcomed us into his very presence. Now back in, in chapter 4, verse 7, uh, it said, and Paul is quoting one of the penitent psalms of David from verse seven, uh, Psalm 32 Blessed are they whose transgressions are forgiven whose sins are covered blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not never count against him now, what I love about when the New Testament writer quotes the old I, I kind of like to go back and you know we've all done this haven't we and well, many of us I guess and see the context of that. And you go back to Psalm 32 and, and the psalm starts with those verses that Paul's just quoted here in Romans 5. Blessed is he 
uh, in Psalm 32, whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. But the psalm finishes from verse 10. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. And this is what we see in what we've just read in, in verse 5, which we'll get to. But verse 11 says, Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. Again, this sense of being bound binding, if you like, the suffering and the journey in suffering with rejoicing or with joy. Once again, there's an impartation here of joy that comes from God, from God the Holy Spirit indwelling us, from the joyfulness of of knowing our right standing before God. So the suffering kind of tests us in this and uh, this really reminds us, it's good to know that Paul actually kind of echoes James. We've just been doing this wonderful series, completed this series in James and and what we're reading here this morning is echoed by James in chapter 1. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, mature and complete. Here's that same sense again, isn't it? There's something purposeful in our fallen, our journey in our sinfulness and fallenness and humanity where suffering comes in. There's something purposeful in in the in the uh, plan of God. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The reality is, unless our faith is tested, how do we know how we're going to go? Unless we... uh, Why is it that, that as humans we want to kind of skate through life? We want a comfortable life. We don't want to be feeling insecure. We want to live in gated communities. We want to have make sure our investments are up up to speed, that we don't have to depend on anybody else but, but ourselves. There's a, a sense and and, the, and the, of strong individualism in our day. And and at its extreme it's narcissistic, you know, that to the ex, to the exclusion of all else it's all about me. And and my stuff and my patch and and, and looking after my things. And sometimes the tighter we hold on to them it seems the easier they slip through our fingers. There was a book that some of us would have, in my day, we had to read at school called The Red Badge of Courage. Anybody have to read that as an assigned novel, The Red Badge of Courage? It was set during the Civil War in America and the basic thrust of the book was you didn't know who was going to have the courage. When the bullets started flying, sometimes those that were the big talkers and had a lot of bravado uh, were the, the cowards. That, that ran under fire and sometimes the quiet ones and the kind of shaky ones and the uncertain ones were the ones that found within themselves courage in the face of fighting and, and uh, how do we really know how we're going to go until we've been there, until we've come under pressure? What, what might it be like, uh, I, I mean in a business sense doesn't it, sometimes people say there are never any problems, just opportunities. You know, don't you love the attitude spin 
that puts us perhaps in a better frame of mind to deal with things and how we see things. I wonder what it would be like if we were to approach our lives with the with and our daily journey in the Lord with a kind of an openness to struggle, to challenge, to confrontation, to push back, to suffering. How do we deal with tragedy? Many many of us are going into our first Christmas without loved ones. Uh, even as recently as yesterday, you know, people within our Facebook network who who two beautiful girls, two-year-old and a four-year-old. The four-year-old's gone. The two-year-old's critical. And you look at the Christmas photo they put online and there are these two gorgeous little angels looking at you. You know, how do you you get through Christmas? How, how, How powerful, how wonderful it is to know that even in the darkest of places, the Lord has committed, has promised to come into those very darkest of places and twist that and bend that tragedy, that sorrow, that inconvenience even, into his purpose. So, I, I don't presume to know how, how, you, how you handle the loss of, of, of a loved one, a young one, you know. I haven't been there. Um, somebody was sharing with me yesterday and I haven't got permission to share the story but I think it's a fairly safe story to share and I haven't asked them so I won't mention anybody's names but we were chatting and, and this person mentioned how back in the day and some of you might have even heard the story before they went to the bank with some papers to do with getting a housing loan and they, somewhere along the line they'd lost the papers and, and so this created a fair amount of distress and they prayed about it and they got they backtracked their their path, and they um, uh, couldn't find it. They got in the car. They're driving home. They're driving through town. They stopped at a pedestrian crossing, and a guy was walking across the pedestrian crossing with their envelope under his arm. The person gets out of the car, leaves the car unoccupied behind the driver's seat. I've got that right, haven't I, Brian? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> It's all right, mate. You you get that's all right. People can tell you how wonderful you are as a faithful Christian over morning tea. But the thing is, they got out. You know, feel confident, okay? Because you won't mind us telling this story because it was a minor miracle. He went to the person. The person looked at him and said, "This is yours, isn't it?" He said, "Yeah." And if I'm getting the story right, he says, "I've already rung the bank and let them know I've got it. Here you are," and gave it back to him. And off they went. A minor miracle. Just a little, little tiny thing, you know. Just, and what, what does it change though? It makes to me as an individual when God does stuff like that. Because next time something happens, I, you know, am I going to be a little bit more confident about praying about something that I'm confronting? You know, um, it's totally celebrating about Jay. You know, we spoke with Jessie last night and when she was saying he was up and walking around the ward, broken neck. Unbelievable, you do. You become thankful for any, any good in the midst of turmoil. But it's so easy to use platitudes at times like this, isn't it? You, you know, and so we become really wary of somebody else's journey. 
the fact is that God does something and, and in the midst of these times of darkness they can be light in the darkness and they can be so dark you're at the precipice, you feel like you're at the precipice of hell, hell itself and yet the Lord is there by his decree, by his character, by his faithful promise. And so quoting out of Romans 8, that very, very familiar verse that precedes the verses that Garth read, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. You you know, I, I just can't come to believe that that verse says that the Lord has a plan that is fixed. The only one that ever existed that followed the plan perfectly was the Lord, Jesus himself. The rest of us in our mortality, we kind of perhaps, you know, we're seeking our best to follow the Lord's perfect plan and, and, and we move around things. But there is still freedom, freedom of will, freedom of choice out there in the world. And so we cannot necessarily assume that, that we will live under the complete protection of the Lord every moment that we draw breath. Sometimes something strikes into our heart, into our home, into our life. But nothing is wasted with the Lord. He will take those things even and bend them to his purpose. How frustrating for the enemy of our souls, for Satan, to know that every time he tries to tear us down, we are believers, we are followers of one who will take what he might send even, apart from what the world might send, and and bend it to God's purpose as we stay within the grace that God has imparted to us, as we stand firm in the grace in which we now stand. Verse, um, it is through these dark places that we discover God's goodness, God's miracle working power, God's steadfast care and that's how we grow into maturity of faith. And verse 5 says, And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Abraham's hope, he was fully persuaded, it says there in verse 20, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Easy to read those verses, isn't it, from our perspective in the year 2015 as a, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus. For Abraham back in the day, fully persuaded that God had the power to do what he had promised. This is not a fragile uh, Desire, hope. See, hope is different in the Bible too to what we would commonly understand hope to be. Hoping against hope, a fragile desire about an uncertain future. It becomes a joy to realise and a lifting of burden to recognise that the Lord has determined the outcome. That he has a certain victorious future in action now. This is the hope that will not let us down. The Bible says it will not disappoint us. 
Now the world can scoff at us in our faith but our hope is not an illusion because we are drenched in the love that God pours out through the Holy Spirit. He pours that love out over us. So we're soaking in it. We're soaking in the love of God. Almighty God, the great I am, the one that is the same yesterday, today, forever, the one that created our, our universe and our world, the one from whom we draw breath, is our loving Father who walks closer than a brother. Christ's indwelling presence through the Holy Spirit gives us a foretaste of the glory to come. And life starts to make sense. Starts to grow in optimism and confidence. Starts to take on purpose. When lived from within that standing, that is God's place of grace. Some of us who drive along Ratray Road may have seen the hedge that's just down the hill a bit with the, the Christmas lights piece on it in full letters. The piece that the soldiers in World War I so longed for, we're still longing for it, aren't we? The war to end all wars didn't end all wars. We were back at it again within a few decades. Within a few months, there was never any more truces. They didn't think the war would go that much longer, you know. And so after only a few months out there, they're doing Christmas. And uh, it didn't stay long. Leaders kind of tried to stop them doing these truce things on Christmas Day in no man's land. But um, they didn't have to really stop them in the end because the war got so ugly and bitter and vicious and it went on for years. No longer was there any thought of Christmas Day truces. And today we, we put on our, our hedges in two or three metre high letters in Christmas lights, peace. And we have our vigils in, in Martin's Place in Sydney and in the streets of Paris and, and in the, the, the university campuses and the high school campuses of the United States and any, any other number of places where people gather and their heart is reaching out for peace in our time. I, I'm wondering whether we're falling short. We're not, we're not reaching out far enough. Not only are we not reaching out for the peace that God offers, but maybe our really our heart cry deep within our spirit is we're reaching out for hope. We're reaching out for this hope that the Christian has, that it's the completing of the journey. It's, it's not being satisfied with just an absence of war or a calm and easy go, but it's being determined and following through and allowing God to place us in that new standing that we have of grace ultimately through, primarily through salvation through Jesus Christ. The, Lord, the Lord's intention is not for an absence of war. The Lord's intention is for us to, to come to that place in our lives where we fully embrace the hope that we have because part of that hope is about the future we have a certain future. We have the hope deep within us of Christ's second coming when it will be as he planned it to be from the very beginning, the intention 
for us to live in him, with him in perfect harmony, in perfect healing, in perfect wholeness as it was meant to be from the very beginning. Let's not stop at peace. Let's yearn and pray for hope to spill out in our world, to break loose in our world, the hope that Christ himself can only bring. Because then we go on and we, see, we read verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus Christ, the hope of the world. And with that in mind, in our reflection time as we draw our thoughts to a close, we spend a few minutes reflecting on the words of this song. It's called My Hope. And uh, it's just being played at mid-level for us so that we can pray the words through or reflect them through or reflect on them and apply them to ourselves or reflect on what the Lord perhaps has been saying to us this morning through his word. Thanks, guys. We prepare for our celebrations of Christmas, whatever that may mean for each one of us. Uh, We all, each in different circumstances... Many of us have many family uh, celebrations and arrangements in place and in play. Some of us are spending a fairly quiet Christmas, uh, perhaps with our own company. We know that, Lord, you are the difference. You are the one that makes us, uh, gives us that heart full of celebration for what Christmas truly is about. And we thank you that, that you are with us in every moment of our lives and as we welcome you in our midst and as we embrace you in our journey, Lord, we can never be alone. And we pray that during this Christmas season there would be a real sense of the glory of God, of the reality of the Christ child and why he came, that people's hearts would be led towards home, that their lives would be reconciled with you that they would reach out to, to the great unfathomable one who comes to them with an open gift of credited righteousness, of salvation and son and daughtership of the living God through the shed blood of your son Jesus Christ. A prayer away. Give us voice, Lord, sensitivity to by your spirit to those needs around us and give us voice to what you would have us speak into the lives of those with whom we share life in the days ahead, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.